Now, the last few uh, Wednesday evenings, we've been looking at uh, John 15, and uh, we've seen that the Lord Jesus uh, draws attention to himself in, in that sense, and he describes himself as the true vine. Uh, Israel in the Old Testament were a vineyard planted by God, but they produced wild grapes despite all their privileges. And Jesus describes himself as the true, the genuine vine uh, who pleases God. And uh, because of the Lord Jesus, uh, there is hope. And as we are joined to him, uh, there is salvation for us. And uh, then the Lord goes on to uh, say from verse 4 down to verse 7 that we are to abide in him. He's addressing his people, his disciples, Christians. Uh, and the word abide that we looked at last week, uh, the Lord Jesus mentions that word seven times. And then there's, there's a progression, uh, as we, we read in the passage from verse 9 down to verse 17. Uh, because now the Lord Jesus tells the disciples uh, what he's inviting them to. So having told them of the importance of abiding in him, because without him they can't do anything, now the Lord uses the word love nine times. I don't know if you noticed that in the reading, but nine times Jesus uses the word love in verses 9 to 17. So he's telling his disciples, abide, uh, but he switches the words, not just abide in me, but abide in my love and in the Father's love. And so that's our theme this evening. It's this wonderful theme of the love of the gospel, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, what we enjoy as his people. The last few days we've uh, watched some distressing scenes on, on the news from Kabul, Afghanistan, and we've seen the Taliban uh, marching into town there or arriving in their cars and uh, jeeps and so on uh, with rifles around their chests and uh, torpedoes ready to be fired uh, and whips in their hands. Uh, did the Lord Jesus Christ arrive like that in the world? Uh, what a great contrast we have with the Christian faith because the Lord Jesus didn't arrive like that, did he? And uh, it stands out in this passage in John 15. What is Jesus inviting us to? Uh, what is the atmosphere of the Lord Jesus Christ? And you can sum it up really in one word. It's that word love. Jesus invites his people to enjoy the atmosphere of the love of God. And of course, this, this is not the only passage where these words are found. You think of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians. Uh, we mentioned that prayer last week, Ephesians 3, the Apostle Paul prays that Christians might know Christ dwelling in their hearts. And then he says that you being rooted and grounded in love. It's the whole purpose of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ is that we might enjoy and experience his love in our hearts. And so the Lord is not asking us to live a life of misery or, or oppression. Uh, the Christian life is, is a life lived in the love of God. And uh, what a wonderful thing that is. So that's our theme this, uh, this evening from verse 9 down to verse 17. Abide, Jesus says, in my love. Uh, there was a lady who had been a missionary uh, for many years in a certain part of the world. And uh, then she retired and she came back to this country. And she was asked to write a book about her experiences. She had um, also received the news that she had terminal cancer. And uh, in, the, in the foreword of her book, she wrote a little sentence. Uh, oh, how wonderful to be loved. That was her summary of the Christian faith and of her Christian experience. And even though she was facing this uh, terminal cancer, having just retired, yet still 
she believed and uh, knew that God is love and she was experiencing the love of Christ. Oh, how wonderful it is to be loved. Do you know the love of Christ as we think of these words? So let's, uh, let's, let's dive into verses 9 to 17. And I just want to pick out four thoughts this evening as we look at these words uh, of the Lord Jesus. What, what is the Lord's love like? Jesus uh, describes it for us. He tells us certain things about this love, the love of God. Uh, and the first thing is, it's a shared love. And so we, we read again, verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And the first thing we, we can notice is that the love of God uh, given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ is, is a shared love. There's a tremendous sentence that Jesus uses here. Can, can we really fathom it? Can we really plumb its depths? I don't think so. Jesus says, uh, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Jesus is sharing the love of God that he knows as God the Son from God the Father. He's sharing that love with his people. It's a tremendous statement, isn't it? Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ from eternity uh, we believe that Jesus Christ is, uh, became a man, but before that, in eternity, he, he, he was with God the Father. And God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, existed uh, before time began, before the world was made. And uh, they shared uh, in the three persons of the Godhead this, this love of God between them. And the Father loved his Son. And Jesus refers to it here, the Father loved me. But now he says, I'm sharing that love with you. I, I have loved you as the, as the, in the same way that the Father has loved me. Jesus is sharing the love that there is within the Godhead with his people. And uh, that's, uh, that's a tremendous thing. You remember that um, earlier on in this gospel, in John chapter 13, verse 1, we have these words, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them in, unto the end. So the Lord Jesus comes from heaven, he comes into the world, he's born, and as Nigel said in his prayer as we began the meeting, he, in the fullness of time he came. And, and he comes to share the love of God with the people of God. And uh, well, that's a tremendous thing, isn't it? And um, it, it doesn't mean, of course, uh, some have mistakenly thought that, uh, that Jesus comes into the world to persuade God the Father to love us. That's not the case, is it? Because we read in John 3, verse 16, for example, that uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So the Lord Jesus didn't come to persuade God to love us, but rather that Jesus shares the love of God with us as the Father has Loved me, I also have loved you. Horatius Bonner uh, was um, a Scottish preacher and he wrote some wonderful hymns. And there's one hymn that I, I, I love and uh, it says these words. O love of God, how strong and true, eternal and yet ever new, uncomprehended and unbought, beyond all knowledge and all thought. And yet we think of uh, the father loving his son. 
uh, and as we ponder these words just for a, a moment, we think, well, there was everything in the Lord Jesus to be loved, wasn't there? The Father loved his Son. And yet, what, what is there in us to be loved? We are sinful creatures. We are rebellious. We don't deserve the love of God. I can remember um, about 25 years ago or 26 years ago taking my sister's wedding in Lichard Mission. And uh, I, I preached the sermon and it was on the love of God. And I happened to make a statement, you know, that none of us deserve the love of God. A man came up to me in the reception afterwards and took me to task. He wasn't a Christian, but he wanted to know, what do you mean by that, he said. It sounded very harsh that we don't deserve the love of God. And, and yet it's true, isn't it? None of us deserve God's love. God would be right and just to destroy this world and to start again. We don't deserve anything from God. And uh, yet Jesus says, the Father has loved me and I also have loved you. Loved us before the world began, before the world was made. Uh, what an amazing thing, this shared love. Uh, verse 9 deserves more time, but uh, let, let's move on a little bit. And Jesus uh, not only talks about a shared love, but he talks about shared obedience. We can notice that in verse 10, shared obedience. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. How did the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was on earth as a, as a human being, as a man, how did he uh, always enjoy the, 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 the smile of his Father, uh, if we can ask that question? How did Jesus always enjoy the Father's smile? And he tells us in verse 10, it was because he was obedient. And uh, he, he always did those things that pleased God the Father. On one occasion in this gospel, Jesus refers to it. I always do those things that please my heavenly Father. And so we can say that as he lived his life on earth, he was always under the smile of God. He was always basking in the Father's love, and he knew that love. There was one instance we might say when, although we, we would want to be careful with our words, when the Lord Jesus did not experience the love of God, and that was on Calvary, wasn't it? When there was those hours of darkness and the Father turns away from him. Uh, and uh, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt forsaken when he was on the cross for those three hours. But uh, usually, all through his 33 years, he enjoyed the smile of God and he knew the love of God. How was that? Because he was obedient. He never disobeyed. And uh, here's the challenge now in verse 10. Not only does the Lord Jesus share the love of God with us, but he says, abide in my love. Well, how do we abide in God's love? Jesus says, you, you obey my commands. It's by obedience. Obedience is part of the Christian life. And uh, we, we, we can't accept what some people say. Well, if you, pick up, if you become a Christian, you can live as you like. God's grace is free. Forgiveness is free. So you can do as you please and still be forgiven. That's not the case, is it? In the Bible, we are told that grace reigns in a certain way. It, it reigns through righteousness. It shows itself by a righteous life. 
So if you or I know the grace of God, if we know anything about the love of God, then we are constrained to be obedient. And if we want to walk with God and know his smile upon us, then obedience uh, is crucial in our lives. We're not saved by our obedience, but having been saved by God's grace, then we want to walk in a way that pleases God. So can you see that having shared the love of God with us, now Jesus talks about a shared obedience, and we are to follow in his footsteps. Uh, And that's an important thing. And uh, the Lord Jesus speaks about that then, shared uh, obedience. Uh, Do you remember that, um, well, there was a man called uh, John Wesley. He he translated a a hymn uh, by a man called Gerhard Terstegen. Listen to the words of this hymn. It's a question posed in the hymn. Uh, And uh, it challenges us, challenges me anyway. Gerhard Terstegen. Uh, He lived in the the, the 17th century, and he asked the question in one of his hymns, Is there a thing beneath the sun that strives with thee, talking to his saviour, that strives with thee my heart to share? Is there anything in my heart that is a kind of an idol, a rival to the Lord Jesus? And then Terstegen says this, Lord, tear it, tear it from there. And reign alone as the Lord of every motion of my heart. In other words, it's a prayer for obedience. And uh, here Jesus says, uh, if you want to abide in the Father's love and in my love, then, then walk in my footsteps and uh, abide in my commandments. So there's a shared love, there's a shared obedience. And there's a shared knowledge Uh, If we jump down to verse 15, uh, you notice how Jesus uh, tells us that there's a shared knowledge that he gives to his people. He says another wonderful thing, which was to encourage the disciples, and it's written to encourage us too. No longer do I call you servants, Jesus says in verse 15. A servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Can you see this emphasis on sharing, shared love, shared obedience, shared knowledge? Jesus says, you are no longer in the position of slaves, but you are now my friends. What's the difference between a slave and a friend? Well, in those days, there would have been many slaves, and the master was not under any duty or obligation to share things to share family things with the slave. The slave just had to do his duty. He was told to fetch this or fetch that or go here, go there. He couldn't ask any questions from the master. He was just had to do his duty. But Jesus says, you are not in that position. You are friends. And uh, then the Lord says, I, I share with you all things I've heard my father, I've, from my father I've made known to you. There's a shared knowledge. I'm sure in the first place this, this applies to the apostles, that they would have been the ones who would have been writing the scriptures. And Jesus says that he would, he would um, send the Spirit to remind them of all things. And we know that these men would write scripture, the New Testament, letters and so on. 
But could, could we also uh, say that verse 15 applies to all Christians? Doesn't the Lord Jesus regard us as friends? Doesn't he make known the Father's will to us? Think of the things that you know as a Christian. To be, to be an unbeliever and, and to be unsaved means that you're in the dark. You don't know what life is about. You don't know where the world came from or where the world is going. You don't know about life and the meaning of life. But it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian, isn't it? And to have knowledge. And to enter into this experience and relationship of being a friend of Christ. That he shares things with you. Remember how the Apostle John puts it in, in 1 John. Uh, he says, uh, you have an unction from the Holy One and you know all things. Talking to Christians, you know all things. Well, that doesn't mean that we know everything that there is to know about history or biology or science. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that we have a specific knowledge about spiritual things. God has enlightened us. And Jesus says, you are my friends and everything that I know, I'm going to pass on to you. So you know what it means to be born again by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a tremendous blessing? You know what it means to have forgiveness of sins through the blood of Christ. Isn't that a wonderful blessing? You know what it means to have the Holy Spirit indwelling you and, and, and helping you to live your life. You know where the world came from because you know God made it. You know where the world is going because Christ is coming back. Well, verse 15 deserves more time as well, doesn't, uh, doesn't it? But we can only touch on it briefly there. But Jesus says, you know, that, that this love of God is a shared love. Shared love, shared obedience, and a shared knowledge. Well, secondly, let's, uh, let's describe the love of God as the Lord Jesus says it here. Let's describe it as a satisfying love. The love of the Lord Jesus that he shares with us is a satisfying love. Uh, let, let's just read again verse 11. Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. We can ask ourselves a question this evening, couldn't we? Do you have joy? Not, not, not just are you happy. There's, there's a kind of happiness in the world, isn't there? Ken Dodd used to sing about happiness. Uh, but that can be a superficial kind of thing on the surface. But Jesus says there's a deep joy that, uh, that there is available when you know God's love. You notice the sequence. Abide in my love, and I'm telling you these things, Jesus says, in order that your joy may be full, and that my joy may be in you, that your joy may be full. It's interesting that uh, there Jesus speaks about joy immediately after talking about obedience. Sometimes as Christians, we're a bit afraid of the word obedience. Keep my commandments, Jesus says, and you will abide in my love. Uh, and and we, immediately the alarm bells go off. Oh, obedience. Because we like to talk about grace and forgiveness. And, and um, well, Christians sometimes react in, in a way that is not right to, when, when obedience is mentioned. But, but isn't it interesting that having just talked about obedience and keeping the commands, 
Jesus then talks about joy. There's joy in obedience. Didn't the Lord Jesus Christ speak about that in his own life? I delight to do my Father's will. The joy of obedience. Think of the words of another old hymn that, um, that I'm sure you know if you're a Christian. You, you will have um, sung many times a hymn called Trust and Obey. And there's a line that goes like this in it. For the favour he shows and the joy he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. That, that, that's touching on it, isn't it? The joy that God bestows are for those who will trust and obey. I don't know whether the hymn writer was thinking of these words here, but uh, there in verse 11 then, Jesus talks about a joy that is my joy and a full joy. 1 Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter says to Christians who are struggling with so many trials and difficulties, uh, yet at the same time they knew joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy in the Lord. So the love of Christ is a, is a shared love. It's a satisfying love because it brings joy to us. Let's mention a third thing, uh, and that is that the love of Christ shared with, uh, to us is, is a sacrificial love. See how Jesus speaks about that in verse 12 down to verse 14. Sacrificial love. This is my commandment, verse 12, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that to, to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatever I command you. And, and at the very centre, when the Lord Jesus is speaking about this love of God and abiding in it and enjoying it, now Jesus speaks about the love of God being sacrificial. And uh, Jesus is giving a command here, isn't he? He says to them, love one another. Love one another. Those words are in the present tense. Go on loving one another. Not always easy, is it? Even in the Christian life, in the Christian church. You might remember the words of the old poem that somebody wrote. To dwell above with those we love in heaven, undiluted glory. To dwell below with those we know, quite another story. Not always easy is it to love one another. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, uh, once received a letter from a man who was struggling to get on with a certain deacon in the church. Spurgeon's reply in his letter was very short. Told the man to, to bear with the deacon. Bear, bear, bear. Forbear, forbear, forbear. In yielding his victory, he says, fight the devil and love the deacon. Love him until he's lovable. There's, there's no easy way out. Bear with one another. Forbear, forbear. Love him until he's lovable. That's what the Lord calls us to as Christians, isn't it? Go on loving one another. But the Lord never gives a command without giving us an incentive as well and giving us help. And uh, he does that, you notice, at the end of verse 12. As I have loved you. It's only a few words, but it would be a disaster to miss it. Go on loving one another. That's the present tense. But then Jesus uses a, a past tense. 
as I have loved you. You go on loving one another because I have loved you. Something's been done for us. And that is that Christ has given himself for us. He goes on to speak about it, uh, about it in verse 13. Laying, one, uh, laying down one's life for his friends. So having given the command to love one another. Then Jesus gives us the incentive, the motive to go on doing that. Because he's loved us. He's loved us. Always go back to Calvary. That's where we've always got to go as Christians, isn't it? Humanists will say to you, love, love one another. Why? Well, because it's a good thing to do. And humanists and secularists will say, you don't need Christianity at all. Get rid of all religions. But Jesus gives us the highest incentive. Love one another because I've loved you. He's laid on his life for us. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 verse 1 says these words, Walk in love. Again, he's talking to Christians. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Walk in love, the atmosphere of love, because Christ has loved us, given himself for us. Dear friends, have, have you wandered at all from the cross of Calvary? We all do it, don't we, as Christians? That's why hymns like that have been written for us. Jesus, keep me near the cross. We've always got to come back there. Are you struggling to love somebody? Come back to the cross and see that the Son of God gave himself for you and died for you. And so there's the command, there's the incentive, and uh, Jesus gives us an example as well there, doesn't he? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So yes, the Lord's sacrifice is there, but the words are in the context of Jesus giving his disciples a command. Now you follow in my footsteps, Jesus says. 1 John 3 verse 16, the Apostle John says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So the Lord has laid down his life for us, and we are to follow in his steps. And love one another. And uh, follow the Lord Jesus and his example. And so the, the love of God, as we are told to abide in it, is a, is a shared love. It's a satisfying love because it brings joy. It's a sacrificial love. And, uh, and then one last thing this evening in verse 16. It's a sovereign love, isn't it? It's a sovereign love. Verse 16, you did not choose me, Jesus says. But I chose you and I appointed you. Jesus uses two words there, and uh, it's the word uh, to appoint and to set in place. I've appointed you, and I've set you in place. Why are we Christians? Why am I saved? Did I save myself? Did I decide to choose Christ? Is that the way it works? No, Jesus says here, you did not choose me, but I chose you. 
And once again, of course, he's talking to the apostles and, and they were going to be set in place as apostles and uh, they would have a particular work to do uh, at, at the very beginning of the Christian church. But still, these words are true of all believers, surely. It is not that I did choose thee, Josiah Conda wrote in the words of another hymn, for Lord, that could not be, this heart would still refuse thee, hadst thou not chosen me. I chose you, Jesus says. Apparently in Jewish tradition, if someone wanted a teacher or a rabbi, there was a saying, provide yourself with a teacher. You know, you go out and you provide yourself with a teacher. But that's not what happened with these, these disciples, is it? They were fishing, going about their daily tasks, and Christ laid hold of them and chose them. And it's a sovereign love. Can't get away from it in the scripture. Why, why would you want to get away from it? Chosen in Christ before the world began. Ephesians chapter 1. God set his love upon us in Christ. Before we were ever thought of. Before we ever lived in this world. It's a sovereign love. Those words are not written to hinder anybody. They're not meant to upset anybody. They, were, they are given by Jesus to encourage Christians. So notice the two encouragements as we finish this evening in verse 16. Because God's love is a sovereign love, then our, li our, our life in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, uh, is not in vain. I, you did not choose me, Jesus says, but I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That's the encouragement, you see. Somebody's written this little line of a poem. You, you, you might know it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And one day this life will be gone. And the only thing that matters is whether we were in Christ and belong to him. Everything else, everything else in the world will be dissolved. But Jesus says, I, I, I chose you. Remember how the Apostle uh, Paul puts it in the great resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, he says, your, your labor is not in vain in the Lord because of the resurrection, because of God's work, God's love, the finished work of Christ. Your fruit should remain. And the other encouragement in verse 16, and, and these words deserve more time as well, but time is, is going this evening. The end of verse 16, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. There, there is a constant supply. We, we're able to go to God without anything. In, in the words of his second letter to Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you, in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, his divine, promise, uh, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Everything we need to live the Christian life is promised to us. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, we can go to the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we can ask, and of course it has to be in accordance with God's will, and we have to humble ourselves at his feet, 
We can't demand anything from God. But there's an encouragement there that because God's love is a sovereign love, our life is not in vain. Our fruit remains as God works within us. And we can pray to the Father uh, for all things that we need. And so the love of God, uh, this is the command and this is the invitation. We, we are not invited to a life of oppression. The Lord Jesus has not got a Kalashnikov across his chest. He says, abide in my love. The enjoyment of the love of God. That's what the Christian life is all about. A couple of months ago, um, my wife and I, we, we watched an episode of Hercule Poirot. Uh, you know, the great Belgian detective. And right at the end of this particular episode, he'd solved the murder. Um, and um, there was a young woman. He was standing at the train station or, or whatever, catching a train. And there was a young woman there. She'd been involved in this plot, in this murder mystery. And her life had been damaged and scarred by it. And uh, Poirot turns to her right at the end of the, uh, of the episode and says these words. Uh, he says... There is nothing in the world so damaged that it cannot be repaired by the hand of God. I encourage you to know this, he says to this young woman, for without this certainty, we would all go mad. And those are the words from Hercule Poirot. But isn't it true? There is nothing that has been so damaged in this world, that it can't be repaired by God's hand. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ who's come, and we can know the love of God, and we can know the Father and the Son and the Spirit with us. Without this certainty, we'd all go mad, wouldn't we? O oh, love of God, our shield and stay, through all the perils of our way, Eternal love in thee we rest, forever safe, forever blessed. May each one of us this evening abide in the love of Christ and know it. And if we're not Christians, then go to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him, may I know the love of God in my heart. And if we are Christians, may we go on and know more of God's love and what it is to abide in the love of Christ as we live our lives from day to day.